and welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast. This episode is quite a doozy, especially if you are a brainy person. We talked to Andrew Ferris and Dr. Janine Hanger about being on the theologians in residence or family theologians, or as I like to just call them, nerds. We talk about their journey as nerds or when they started to really develop a love for God with their mind. We talked about good ways to answer theological questions, and we talked a little bit about what to expect this Sunday as they team teach about loving God with our minds at Coastline. So this is a great episode. Uh, The banter, the conversation is super fun, so I really hope you enjoy it. And if you have any questions for the podcast, this is the last week to enter. Uh, Go ahead and say, I have a question for the podcast in the subject line of an email that you send to hbabcock at coastline.family and list any questions you have. And here's a bonus. You won't even be entered to just win Tim Mori's book. We mentioned three books by name in this podcast. We mentioned uh, Fred Sanders' book, we mentioned Michael Reeves' book about the Trinity, and we also uh, mentioned a book called Phoebe that Dr. Hanger recommends. All three of those are also in the package, so you can win four books just from asking a question of the podcast. Why wouldn't you do that? So thank you. We will see you next week, every week. Welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant Podcast. This one, this particular episode that we are doing right now was one of the reasons I wanted to start the podcast. I wanted to get people who are a lot smarter than I am to talk. And I also wanted to get people in the coastline community to talk and to listen. And so that is really, really exciting because I'm here with Andrew Ferris and Dr. Janine Hanger, or should I say not Dr. Andrew and Dr. Janine Hanger. That is I'm, what you should say. I'm not Dr. Hunter. Oh. And we are here talking about a lot of things, but this is a partly topical episode because you guys are doing something very unique this Sunday at Coastline. You guys are like team teaching, co-teaching, co-preaching, and we will talk all about that. But also you guys serve a really unique and distinct role in Coastline that I don't think really anybody knows about. And I think they should know about this because you guys are helping to shape a lot of kind of how Coastline moves forward and how Coastline thinks about certain things. So I'm really happy that I got you two here. Uh, you guys are hard people to nail down. And so we're doing this, you know, it's 2 a.m. <laughs> we're in we're in the back of a car, so no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. And so really briefly, one of you, what what is your role at Coastline? What do you do? Uh, and and <laughs> they both pointed at each other. And yeah. uh, kind of what, what do you see your role as? Um Okay, so hi, thanks, Hunter. This is fun. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, so I think initially, I remember talking to Sean a long time ago about some vision he had for when he was in the senior pastor candidating process at Rolling Hills, and he was thinking about what he would do. I think, in part, um, sort of if he was in charge, right? And so he be, he began to think through all of this stuff. I think that was a really useful exercise, and he and I talked a lot about that. Um, about sort of his vision for how a church could run. And one of the ideas he had in his mind was the idea of, I think at the time he called it theologians in residence. Right, I remember this. Yes. Yeah, and the idea was basically that there'd be people in the church who sort of uniquely um, not only can do theology, because I think, I think when I think about our pastors um, and, yeah, and sort of the, our leadership, all of you... Hunter and the rest of the gang are qualified to um, do really high quality work with the Bible and theology. And so, um, so that's, it's not an issue of like ability. I think Um, it's an issue of like uh, in part 
that. And I think there's some baseline training that would go into that and that would be required. But also that um, there's some people who seem to particularly love doing that and who it's like, it's like really life-giving and that, that, that the idea that they could serve the church through um, thinking hard and, and thinking as well as possible about matters of theology and, and um, how that affects church life and individual lives is important. So that was the idea. Um, and I remember uh, Dr. Hanger and I sat with. Um, <laughs> is that cool? Are we going to keep going <laughs> with Dr. Janine? I can't remember the last Janine time. Janine is called, good. Janine is good. I can't remember the last time I called her Janine, honestly. I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, like, do you know how much work a PhD is? We'll talk about it. You better it. believe we'll talk you about would be it. calling me Dr. Ferris if I had one. <laughs> That's funny. Um, it is so much work. You know, you have to learn theological German to get a PhD in theology. What, yeah, I mean, that is like that's the kind of stuff that people don't think about with this. Is like, I learned that is just a that is just a grind. So you I learned better theological get German, and I didn't even get a PhD. I, so I did not know that. <laughs> um, anyway, so I remember a meeting that uh, that the two of us had with Sean and Garrick about some stuff, and uh, I remember we were. It was like the outcome of the meeting was okay. Let's all go and think about this more. Yeah, and um, Janine, you and I, the two of us, were like. Awesome. That's going to be so fun. And we had a great time in the conversation. And I remember Garrick and Sean looked at each other and like, what? Like you guys are like, they like, and it's not, and it's not that they didn't like it at all, but the idea of going and doing it further at past right. that point was going to be a, like a thing they had to do in a way that was like, oh my gosh, I would love to go brush up on this reading and think about it and interact with Janine about it and whatever. So, um, so that was, that, that was kind of the baseline of the idea that there would be a way that we could serve by helping to sort through um, hard issues. Now, I think what Sean has more recently called it, and I think what he is going to introduce us as, I think, is family theologians. And I actually like that even more because it actually, I think it locates theology in the local church and Mm. in the local community in a way that I really, really like. And by calling it that, um, as opposed to like, almost theologians in residence almost sounds like a little too high and mighty. Like the idea is that there's people who are thinking about this for the sake of our and um uh and as our uh sermon is working that we're working on is going to get at um the end goal of theology is love so um to think about Hmm. that in a local um congregation i think is really cool i did not know that was your guys's title i'm not that could be wrong i'm not kidding you this whole time you've been referred to and i hope this is endearing and this is maybe the first time you're hearing this so if you cry i'll pause the podcast we can jump back in later i'm very sensitive sean Sean has just called you guys the nerds That's all you like. Oh, the nerds are speaking this Sunday. That is amazing. And so, like, if you look at that the, seems fair. If you look at the uh, questions I, I sent you guys, it's like nerd, 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 yep, nerd. Yep. And I wasn't trying to be mean. I was like, yeah. oh, we've all agreed. I on- thought it was you were joking around. No, <laughs> I, I literally am operating with the information that I have that you guys are the nerds. I think if I were in seventh grade, I'd be really devastated. But I don't really don't care now. When I was in seventh grade, I was the one who got all the good grades and was uh-huh. on honor roll. But I was embarrassed about it. So one time, I got a C in typing class on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> she um, threw it. She so th- I wouldn't be called a nerd. She threw it. That's Here, this is a funny example of how like there isn't necessarily a typecast for this because in seventh grade, I was a terrible student and um, I was awesome at typing. Um, <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah, so yeah. that was like probably the one thing I'd killed at. That's, That's funny. Great. Okay. So I'm hearing that you guys love thinking and then mm-hmm. you were compelled by leadership to go think and then in, help coastline think, right? So what's, you said the end goal with theology is love, family theologians. How does that now play out in the coastline, like the life of the church? 
Well, I mean, I... I, I you're going to have to I think this. No, no, no. <laughs> no I'm I not think you should it. talk uh, about what you have said to me about how you think about theology and you and your life. Like, because you have told me that you don't want to like hole up in an office and write journal articles, right? Like right. as the main mm. outworking of what it means, which is what a lot of PhD people do, right? right. They, you yeah. teach at Biola. So yeah. you like, I mean, you are teaching and training people, but yeah. there's a way of being a university professor that is like spend all your time in academics, yeah. get deep, write journal articles that four people will ever read. Yeah. Because and that's still a way to serve the church, by the way. But like, yeah. so I don't. I, mean, I say that with no judgment. I really, I really believe that actually. But, um, but that doesn't sound like what you care about yeah. so much. I mean, how Garrick and I first connected in our relationship was over ministry. It was over mm. our shared desire to go into full time ministry. So we um, got into campus ministry, and then I stumbled into seminary, and it was there that I was like, I love this so much, and I love studying the Bible and, and it really has become my life's goal is to like, I've been inspired by teachers of the Bible inspired toward God through the word. Mm -hmm. And that has become my purpose. And mm -hmm. so I think whatever I can contribute to the church, I'm just excited to have a space to contribute that yeah. to a community, which I, I'm not sure it's um, had a chance to breathe yet. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. That's really exciting. So, okay, let's let's go back then. What is your guys' like history of being a nerd or being, you know, <laughs> so you said you stumbled into seminary. Andrew, I know I've known you for a while and I've kind of heard that story, but I think people would be really interested in like, how did you get to this point where like you guys are the ones being asked to be the theologians? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I stuck, Garrick, we, we moved down to Southern California for him to go to seminary and I was going to support us through it. And then I was like, I'll just take a class. Um, so we have something to do on Saturdays. So we took a class together and then I just loved it and decided to get a whole degree alongside him. So it became just this, um, shared thing that we did, but then, um, keep continuing. Like I didn't, when we finished, I thought I, I want to keep going. And, um, so it just kept going. And from there just kind of really found this love of teaching and was given an opportunity to teach at Biola and, I've never really looked back, and I think um, the PhD was just part of that process. I think, um, yeah, the PhD was just a desire to, con to continue to develop as someone who could teach the word and equip the saints. I mean, that's really what um, Biola has allowed me to be part of is um, working with students and, you know, passing on, like, this is how you can approach the Bible, and, and, and not just uh, my tagline for the class that I teach is getting into the Bible and letting the Bible get into you. Mm. What's the point of getting into the Bible if it never gets into you? And so it's always this two-part focus. So, And we've teased it, but you do have a PhD. I do. How do you get a PhD? <laughs> no, I'm not asking. I don't want one, but I'm just, maybe someone does. I mean, if someone how, wants to give me one. Yeah, if you want to give me a PhD. Like, is that a why would someone get one or no, how do you? How, how do What's you? the process oh, of that? well, First, you find a program that is uh, that one might take you, <laughs> and I had to wait until um, the programs came to me because we weren't going to move across the country or out of the country. And it turns out that I waited long enough that um, found one that was in Europe that allowed me to do it from home. So um, applied, you know, I mean, it's it had a, a master's degree, and you, you know, you have to apply with 
you know, transcripts and letters of rec and all that. And basically, um, identified a supervisor who I might, um, want to work with. You get in touch with them. You say, this is what I'd like to study. And they go, sure, that sounds good. So give it a, give it a try. And you write up a proposal and, and that's how you get in. Um, and then the, the whole process is just trying to figure out, getting a PhD, the, the dissertation is uh, meant to be a contribution to knowledge. So it's Ooh, I like that. coming up with something that no one's, saying something that no one's said before, which is incredibly challenging because everything's been said. Yeah, and it especially like, about the Bible, right? Like yeah. that feels really stressful. Yeah. So the burden of it is the very, the first whole year I think I spent looking for what is my question? What is my research question? Like I came in with an idea and then you start to study and you learn the landscape and you're trying to figure out what hasn't been said. And so in order to find that, you have to figure out what has been said. So that's just a breadth of reading and study. And it's and it's always uh, under this burden of, I don't know if I'm going to find something. Right. I can't imagine. And so that was the burden, like yeah. just feeling like I don't even know when I'm going to find something or how or what that will be. And so it took me a full year before I came up with the actual question. And um, and then once you come up with the question, it's like the burden of, how am I going to answer this? <laughs> so, I mean, it took five years. Wow. And it probably could have, I could have taken double that. To yeah. yeah, that's actually pretty it. quick for a PhD. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you have to talk about it yeah. with someone or like you have to defend it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, you write up um, your dissertation and then you submit it and then you get a couple in examiners to read it and then you basically have to defend it in front of them and they ask you all kinds of they're basically trying to I mean it's friendly but they're trying to basically where, where are the holes so you are defending it like well what what did you mean by this and how about this and and in the end um it's terrifying but it actually made my my thesis better like my examiners gave me suggestions and some minor corrections at the end that like I love it so much more than mm. I first when I, when I first submitted it so Nice. Anyway, yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. Andrew, what about you? Your history of being a nerd. Yep. So I um, I um, grew up in church, and I grew up in charismatic churches. So I grew up in the vineyard. My dad is a pastor. And um, in my vineyard churches, really healthy vineyard churches, really healthy charismatic. So I, I have, I know some people grow up in, like in any church tradition, there's a range of like sort of, stereotypically good and bad versions of it. And I think with charismatics, the stereotypically bad version is where it's just sort of like insanity and chaos and like everything is, is not tethered to scripture and becomes this sort of like wild people yelling in tongues for no reason kind of thing. Um, and, um, that was just numb. I, in fact, I didn't coming out of high school and my involvement in my church there and my youth pastor and youth ministry and all that kind of stuff. I didn't really know, first of all, that there was any issue that people had with charismatics. And secondly, that like, um, that, uh, there was such a thing as some of that. It seemed obvious to me that those were like fringe cases. And now what I've learned is that just like, you know, people growing up in reformed churches might have like some coldness or something like that. Like there's just all of these kinds of things. So anyway, all that to say the, uh, the massive emphasis of my, of my, um, Christian life then was, um, was, uh, experience with the Holy spirit as being sort of the, the, um, key element of what it means to walk with Jesus. And it, I would not say that my um, church was anti-intellectual. I would say that it was uh, ah-intellectual, you know, if that makes sense. So it was it was not oppositional towards theology at all. Um, 
I never heard a single bad word about sort of studying your Bible or whatever. It just was that like what we talked about all the time was engaging with God and worship and sensing the Holy Spirit's presence, some of that stuff. And it was mostly really good. Like it was like great for me. So, so even still, um, I would call myself a charismatic and, and, and I'm really positive towards that whole movement, at least my experience of that movement and, and towards the best of it. So, um, so that was the background, but for me, I'm a very like sort of hyper, um, the word that comes to mind is rational, but I don't mean that as like a compliment about myself. I just mean, as opposed to emotional, um, I'm kind of a first and foremost thinker. And, um, and so I ended up at Biola. I think the Lord just led me there when I think back to how that happened. Um, and, um, and, uh, I still remember getting to my very first Bible classes at Biola and just like, being amazed that this was possible in, in the Christian life. Like it just was like, what? I was sitting with friends of mine who have, some of whom are still like very, very close friends in like sort of like a, I declared myself a Bible major. I didn't even really know what I was doing except that I wanted to go into ministry. And, um, and I would sit with friends who like clearly had this theological background. So we would sit in this like first year seminar for new Bible students and they would all be talking. I still remember like the first year somebody referenced like, Oh, are you, um, are you, um, I think super lapsarian was the question that they asked me and I'm not even going to bother unpacking that, but, um, um, I, I barely know what those terms mean now. And at the time it like blew me away that Mm -hmm. people at my age could do that. But at the same time, something was happening to me, which was that as I sat in, in classes, especially at Biola where, um, my professors were not only people who were good teachers, but it was clear to me that I could respect them as, um, those first couple of professors were, were men that semester were men of God that I wanted to, that what they had, I wanted. Um, and so, um, so that just opened up a world to me of like, wow, I can do this. And that shot me down the pathway of like, I actually love this. And as I kind of kept going at Biola, I just loved my Bible classes. I just loved them. Um, it, it opened up for me a whole way of, um, uh, experiencing what it means to walk with the Lord. So, you know, there's the sort of stereotypical picture of the sort of lifeless, loveless Bible person, um, the sort of like cold theologian where it's like, yeah, you do theology, but you need to make sure also that, you know, that it connects to your heart. I actually don't know what people are talking about when they're talking about that. I believe it exists because I know people tell me that that kind of thing exists, but at least for me, um, I've never experienced theology as cold or lifeless or like as a task. I mean, there's of course there are some subjects I'm more and less interested in, but, um, you know, even after I stepped away from ministry, I still like my reading list still existed. You know, I still wanted to do it. It wasn't just like work prep for me. So, um, so yeah, so now here we are, uh, you know, over that time, um, I've maintained friendships with, um, leaders and, and Sean and Garrick and, uh, you know, you Hunter and, um, others. And so it just was sort of like, well, here's a way you could serve in this and, and all that. And. And now here I am being interviewed about it. Wow. I, that was, both of those are so unique and they're, you know, I don't think anybody has, you know, quite Janine's or Andrew's track, but I I love hearing that. And I love hearing that, you know, theology can compel us in a lot of different ways, but I think one of the most compelling things about 
you know, theology is that it can help answer some big questions. And, and I can imagine people listening to this have been wrestling or are rest, like, you know, over time wrestled with big questions. And so you don't have to specifically get into like what the question is in your answer, but like, what would you say to someone listening? Who's like, I'm compelled by theology, but I have all these questions. Like what's the next step for someone like that as, as the nerds and residents, you know, wh- where would you guide them? Do you have an answer to this? Jeanine? I mean, I, I have what I naturally do. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, start there. I look for podcasts first thing. Amen. I'm like a total podcast yeah. like junkie. Like I love, I listen. Like I, I think I would, I just search around to see who's saying what. And then as I listen, I listen to what they're reading mm-hmm. and what they're recommending. And then I go buy those books and then mm-hmm. I read those books. So it's just like I try to learn everything I can about a topic. It's like a journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally. great. That's yeah. great. Uh, last year when Spotify did like the Spotify wrapped, you know, they say like all the things you've listened to over the year. I got a notification that said I was in the 0.1% of podcast listeners. That you, in terms of volume yeah. of podcasts? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is so funny. I was That's really, a lot of podcasts. I, I really was proud of that. Yeah. Does that <laughs> mean awesome. you think what music suffered because you listened to more podcasts? Was it dashboard that went away or was it? <laughs> okay. Andrew, answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> um. I I will take a different answer here a little bit. I am a little bit jealous right now for theology to get more localized and more into a local church setting. Um, and in part, so I, I mean, I'm a big podcast guy too. I love all that. But um, so I don't really disagree so much as I think there's a real place. Um, I Like when I think about you two listening to podcasts, um, you guys both have a lot of training and thoughtful and interaction. And I think you're going to have a really good ability to um, eat meat and spit out bones. Um, I have sometimes found that in the explosion of theological and ministry material that exists on the internet, one of the really big challenges for churches right now is to um, is to help people sort through that. Uh, information. Yeah, I think there's. Okay. I think there's probably never been more false teaching. More like, and I mean that in a New Testament sense. Like, which, which is clearly part of the role of local church leadership is to protect against false teaching. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably never been more false teaching more widely available, more quickly and easily. Right. In the entire history of the world. So I think that. Um, and and I don't. I don't want to say that in a way that sounds too like. Um, uh, like. Uh, alarmist or something like right, that. Right, I, right, I just right. think that um, when you see, there are a lot of people with PhDs who aren't very good at, or who are not reliable theologians, not Dr. Hanger, who is a very reliable <laughs> theologian with whom I am teaching Thank on you. Sunday. Um, <laughs> Little plug. Yeah. yeah well, I, I, I just, respect uh, her. I like her. Yeah. Because there are a lot her. of people with PhDs that are great and super reliable. Right. So, um, but I just, I think it's very hard for people to sort, out some of that stuff sometimes and to really consider the implications of some of the ideas and even to know if like scholarship is being accurately represented on a topic that they care about. Um, I'll tell you like an example of this. I don't know if people will like this, but I think um, this is such a hot topic, but my, one of my, my go-to example, this is Rob Bell, who I think is incredibly compelling as a speaker and as a, like he's really good at telling you things, but my, from what I know of the literature, what I would say is he's a really unreliable guide to scholarship. Um, and I think people have a really hard time sorting that out without knowing the literature. And so, and I think that that happens a lot. So I, and maybe if we take it outside the realm of theology, it could help people sort this out a little bit too, which is that um, 
we all know about crazy internet conspiracies where, right. where people seem really reasonable about some topic. And I'm thinking of political stuff right now a lot where I would say there's a lot of kind of political insanity in the world. Maybe some people listening to this believe some of the things that I would consider insane. I don't know. That's okay. We'll be in church together and we can talk about it. But, um, but that happens with every discipline everywhere all the time. And I, so, so for me, all that's a long way of saying I really want to see people form relationships in a local church setting guided by local elders who are, um, who are reliable guides, partly because you know their lives as well as their beliefs, um, who have become reliable guides to helping people sort through hard theological topics because they are hard. And I do want to encourage people to explore them. So I'm not saying turn off all your podcasts or right. whatever, but I just think it's an interesting conundrum for the church right now. I, I think that's really wise. And I, I want to kind of process this as the three of us because I think that people listening to this would be like, okay, not me. Like they, someone else listening to this probably listened to some crazy heretics with PhDs, but not me. What would you say? Like, how would you give someone like a methodology to sort out? Like what is valuable and what's not? And then what is the role of those crazy people to edify your true theology? Well, can I, I want to hit on a word you just used, which is heretic. Yeah. Like, so heretic is a real category. It's right. not like a right. mean thing to say right. about somebody of course. necessarily. I mean, it, somebody might perceive it as mean, but it actually is a real thing. Thing and what we mean by that term is somebody whose beliefs are are out of keeping. I mean, Rob Bell is the perfect example of this. Rob Bell, I believe Rob Bell is a heretic, and I don't mean that as a mean thing to say about Rob Bell. I mean what he affirms theologically is outside of the realm of historic Christian doctrine, right? And therefore, he has placed himself in a different category. And I think if he actually was to define himself, I've never heard him say this, but um, but I think he would kind of be willing to even um maybe put himself there and sort of say like, yes, I recognize that what I'm teaching is not in the realm of historical. I don't know. I don't know if teaching well enough to say if he would, if he would agree with that title or not. But um, I think that category is really uncomfortable to modern people who, who like want to be inclusive and careful and stuff like that. And by the way, I'm not saying that somebody who disagrees with your position on, let's say women in ministry or something like that is a heretic. Right. Right. right, right. So I, I, and so maybe to follow up on your question a little further, something actually Janine and I have been working on a little bit is to think through how do you know what issues are like, nope, these are non-negotiables to be a Christian. Right, right. And if you deny this, that you're not, that you then actually go into the heretic category. Um, and then what are the issues that are convictions and how do you sort those out? And what are the ones that are opinions and questions from there? Um, and how do you kind of rank those topics? Because everybody does that. We all recognize that, yeah. that you know, most people will recognize that um, what you believe about the age of the earth is really, really different than what you believe about the deity of Christ Correct. Yeah. and, um, and how that, and what you affirm and deny there. And you could sort that out in good conscience with people in different ways. So, um, I don't know if I, I don't even remember the question, but that's what I thought about. No, that was, that was a helpful answer. So let me ask you, Janine, how do you guys then like sort that out? You know, like Andrew's saying, you guys are having to figure out what is non-negotiable, what are convictions. Like, what, where have you guys, what have you guys used to land on the answers to that? Well, I mean, we've actually started a, a running list of non-negotiables, convictions, opinions. Sorry, it's not no close enough. I'm not, I'm new to this. No, it's fine. Um, so yeah, we have, we've actually start. we've met a couple times and we've got some shared documents and we're, we're starting to work through what, what is considered non-negotiable, what are convictions. And I think... I think the most interesting thing is to, and, and the thing we both get excited about is how do we navigate the convictions when they're when we disagree on them yeah. and they're not they're not non-negotiable. So we 
we should be a big enough tent to be able to handle all of those convictions that may be different from each other. And how do we do this in love? And I think we're both really excited about how do we model that? How do we live into that? How do we, how do we become that as a community? Yeah. And something that you guys have been saying is like the importance of a local church in theology. And I guess my next question was, and I answered it myself in my head of like, how do you pastor someone who believes their conviction is a non-negotiable? And I think it happens mm. in community, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you sit with someone and in a relationship with someone long enough to then say, here, here is why I don't think your conviction is a non-negotiable. However, I really want to know why you believe that or why mm-hmm. is this conviction so important to you that you've elevated it to mm. that? And also a re- resource, have you guys read Finding the Right Hills to Die On? I have not, but I want to. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, it's a really quick read. And for anybody listening right now, it's by a guy named, I think it's Gavin Ortland. It's one of the Orland oh. brothers. One of the Orland bros. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, he wrote a book. It's about theological triage, right? So the idea of triage, like treating the most important things first and mm. then letting the other things kind of fall into place. And so that book is about non-negotiables in theology. So mm. I am doing your job for you, nerds, and telling you what books well, you know, read. This is a, this is a, this is a sidebar, but... Um, you should be in more of these conversations. You're like one of the sharpest theological minds I yep. know. Listen, so, I'm way too busy going to Hume. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you, yeah. Anyway, no, you that's my be, advocacy. I appreciate, you need to be I appreciate that. I think you're also a pretty big nerd. Oh, I'm a giant nerd about things that don't matter. <laughs> yeah. I wish I cared about theology. I really, I, that's like, honestly, if I'm to be you, vulnerable, a kind of a huge conviction of mine. Like I sit with you, Andrew, and we, we you know, we talk or with Janine and you guys are able to kind of fire things off that you're into. And I, I work at a church and I'm like, but I do know which version of Althea by the Grateful Dead in 1982 is better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've listened to enough dead to know, well, but like you guys are on a I whole different level. I can also tell you like Cody Bellinger's WRC plus. Yeah, so, the, I mean, we all have stuff the, like that, right? And that's, and that's so funny to think of like your nerd you don't turn it off when like you're done doing theology okay right? so this this is another important point which is that i think there's a real like personality element here and part of yes. hopefully what happens with the because you're absolutely right i've actually thought about this i access um baseball statistics as a source of authoritative knowledge in a very sim- my mind makes a very similar move in terms of my interpretation of what's happening in the dodger season and as as i do with the Bible and theology, which is wow. that there's a source outside of me that that is more authoritative than me, um, and then than what my than what my gut or my eyes tell me, and that I can access that source as a reliable source of truth, um, and that I, I interpret things that way. And I, I it is a very similar move that I make, and so that just tells me that that's partly just a wiring thing for me, and it might not be. I don't even know for you, Janine, if like you find yourself doing similar things you do with Bible and theology and other parts of life. But I, yeah. that, that is, I do the same thing with economics and like mm-hmm. some of that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a, a nerd muscle for, that's like, that's exactly right. It's a nerd yeah. muscle. Uh, nerd muscle. Other, other, I mean, it's, I think it's just the, Im, the impulse to research. Yes. Like if I have a question, I'm going to search everything I can find out about that question on any topic. Yeah. And that's beautiful because anybody can do that, mm-hmm. you know, and that's yep. why I'm thankful to have this, church coastline covenant the holy worshiping fully family you know those things are so crucial for the concept of research Mm -hmm. because doing those things in community is so much better than doing them isolated yeah that hopefully the gift to the church is that whatever janine and i bring to the table through this is really different than what other people bring to the table and i am so jealous for people who um like are great um Holy Spirit people and prayers and so, right. sort of stuff like that, right? And I don't need them to be... So, like, the part of the the whole idea, right, is that people minister in different ways and yep. people are going to come with 
generosity is their main element yep. of, you know, whatever. And um, I think there's this call to take on those ministries with zeal and then to listen to each other as you present, as, as each person kind of brings that stuff to the table. And I think that is why community matters. Totally. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So what talk- was your actual question before I said that thing about baseball? <laughs> I think it was something about like super lipsarianism. So I appreciate, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you answering it. Um, let's talk about Sunday. I'm really, really curious and interested and excited to hear about kind of where you guys are at. Um, this is going to be really, I think, not shocking. I think this is going to be really compelling for people and definitely something unique that they've never seen. I mean, two people preaching on the one hand is different. You two preaching, they don't normally see you guys on stage. So tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing to prep and what, what's the point of Sunday? Well, our prep, I mean, I think we started just by bouncing ideas. Like, this is what I'm thinking about this. This is what I'm thinking about this. And then Andrew kind of put it all together in a in a framework. And I think we're, we, we met and, t- I mean, I think, <laughs> I don't know what we'll find on Sunday. <laughs> we're still in process. On we'll it. do a follow-up next yeah, week. Like, yeah. How did it go? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, what are you, what else are you doing to prep beyond, you know, we gave initial thoughts and then I literally just took our thoughts and ordered them. So I, I didn't add much to it from there. I know what I am doing besides that part of the initial thoughts, but I'm curious what your, your process has been otherwise. My, I mean, my process is to take those thoughts. Th- th- I, I, for myself, I have to kind of write it all out. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm better on paper than I am in person. That's why <laughs> this is really makes me nervous being here. Um, so if I can get it out on paper of what I, what I like the, just the order of thought even. Mm-hmm. And then from there, try to get it into my head. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what more you want to know. That's great. Okay. What is, what do you guys actually, well, but you also are, you're also writing, but I think you're researching and yeah. doing commentary work and some of that stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're prepping, you guys yeah. are prepping. Yeah. What is, what are you guys talking about? You know, we're doing this new series. And so I think you guys are talking about we're, what we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah. We're talking about loving God with all your mind, which is part of the Shema, which yeah. is part of the, um, actually the New Testament version of the Shema, yep. Jesus' version, because in Deuteronomy, it doesn't talk about love God with your mind. He doesn't use that same hmm. word. So Heart, soul, and strength in Deuteronomy. Heart, soul, and yeah. strength. And um, the Matthew is heart, soul, and mind. And Luke is heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we're, we're focusing on mind. I think we've been talking a lot about how like it's hard to really separate out any one of those because it really the heart of it is loving God with everything you've got. And so how do you, for this week, focus on the mind. So that's such a good example of, uh, you and you, what you bring, because I I know from talking to you last night that one of the things that you did in this process is it bothered you or like it, I mean, it was just a rock and there's a, uh, yeah, rock in your shoe, uh, right. That like a pebble in your shoe or whatever that, that Jesus's quote of the Shema was slightly different than Deuteronomy six original, even though Jesus is clearly quoting scripture. So how come Jesus got the Mm -hmm. Shema wrong, especially since it was probably like, the John three sixteen of its time, right? It's like the most famous verse that he could have possibly quoted uh, or one of them anyway. So you told me last night that you went and, and searched down um, <laughs> a, a journal of biblical literature article, which is like a highfalutin theological journal yeah. and, yeah. Um, and like tried to answer the question. And uh, I, I will bore the crap out of people with um, the approach. But when you told me what the approach to that was, I was like, Oh, that makes sense. And, um, and then we just kind of discussed that. And, but what I, what I love about what you just said is that like the end goal here that you're talking about is like 
How do we love God with your mind? And I think that's just the thing people don't think about is that like you can go research um, uh, Journal of Biblical Literature articles about source criticism in Matthew, basically, and turn that into how do I love God with my mind? How do I meet the person of God and know him and, and walk with him more closely? And that that's the point is to is not just to get the knowledge, but to um, to love him. So I, I, you know. I think you're underselling your process there a little bit from what you're telling me and then writing it out and thinking it right. through. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I mean, kind of the, the back and forth right here, I think is something that we can really look forward to on Sunday. Um, I, I really like what you just said, Andrew, about, you know, using your mind not to just gain knowledge, but, you know, using mm-hmm. like these intellectual <laughs> enterprises as worship. Mm-hmm. And I think like, so I'm excited. To, I, I mean, so we're doing this series where it's, um, the Shema and the greatest commandment and sort of breaking down each of these elements of it, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at, at the end of the day, the goal is to love the Lord, your God, that's to love yeah. him. And then to love your neighbors yourself is, is in there as well. And, you know, f- um, for me, it's been, a um, another reminder that, um, that is really the goal of all of it. And that like the point of engaging your mind with, God and his word and even beyond his word, just sort of with life with God um, all the time, uh, no matter what you're doing is to love him and and is to walk with him. And in that respect, it's him moving towards us so we can know him and enjoy him. And that's the goal. Um, And so um, as far as like my prep process for that, it's uh, I have found that the most important thing for me to do these days is to, read the text as much as I can and to read it more widely and read with more context than I can. So I've been just sort of reading through Matthew. Um, that's been an important thing for me and just trying to make, let my mind make mental connections between passages. I would recommend that to anybody that mm-hmm. uh, if you're studying scripture, one of the, um, I grew up with a lot of, um, the way people think about studying scripture is very like take a small text and break it down even smaller. Uh, so one little section, um, that's great. Do that too. Um, but I think, uh, I think one of the best things you can do to understand the Bible better is to read the Bible in broader sweeps, like mm-hmm. read a whole book in as close to one sitting as you can. You know, it's going to be harder with Isaiah or something, which is 66 chapters versus first John, which is a few chapters, five, six chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so like doing things like that, I think can really, really help. So that's what I've been doing, just trying to get myself into the thought process there. And when I have done that, it's been really helpful to kind of hear the Lord saying, two people at his time, what does it really mean to walk with him and to have real righteousness the way that he, um, the way that Jesus defines it, as opposed to um, other uh, sort of competing ideas of that in his time, and then to think about what that is like in our time as well. Well, if that doesn't get you excited for Sunday, I don't know what will. Um, thank you guys for sitting down with me and talking with me. I have one more question, um, a little bit more on the spot, but someone listening to this, really excited about theology, really excited about getting to be a nerd on their own journey. What, what is the best nerdiest book you could recommend? Not like the most like technically advanced book, like this will really knock your socks off, but like a book that's a little higher level or, or maybe not, but just a book that maybe simulates the mind more than anything else. Uh, I have one, I have actually I have two that are great compliments to one another. Um, so there's a book called um, The Deep Things of God by Fred Sanders. And then there's another book called Delighting in the Trinity. I think it's by Michael Reeves. Yes. Um, so there are two chapters in The Deep Things of God that you should skip. And actually Sanders tells you you should skip them because they are more technical. Um, and so uh, so 
when he says to skip it, read a paragraph. If you want to skip it, skip it. Um, the rest, other than that, in those two books, um, those are both world-class theologians. Fred Sanders is, is one of the leading theological experts in the world on the doctrine of the Trinity. And I really like talking about this in terms of the Trinity and in terms of those two books. And the reason why is that, first of all, the Trinity is sort of the famously impossible to understand thing in Christianity. People always say, oh, you know, try to explain the Trinity. That's, you know, They'll impossible. give you a PhD if you can. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and what both of those guys do is say, no, actually, we know that God is Trinity because God has purposefully revealed himself um, to us as, as Trinity. And so that, that means it's, it's an invitation in to knowing him better as he really is. It's not something that's supposed to intimidate us and push us away. And what both of those books do is in relatively short form and in, as it turns out, unlike many theologians, both of these guys are excellent writers. They are clear. They, like I actually laughed out loud at multiple times in both books. And that's not just because I'm a nerd. It's because those guys are actually both very funny, yeah. which is very rare in um, theological reading. Um, and what they will both do as the second title is the delighting in the Trinity. What it will do, um, is actually lead you to delight in the Trinity, not just to know it and understand it better though, you, though it will do that too. And I think it's like a perfect little illustration of something that we have talked about with the idea of loving God with your mind, which is that, um, that, um, that it is really about sort of the mind as an access point to the rest of your holistic mm. self. Um, and that you actually like you can't even have an emotion apart from your mind and, and apart from your body that like essentially all of these things are actually very interconnected and we'll pick them apart and look at them for the sake of trying to think carefully and think well and love God well. But, um, but that like what those will do, I think is help you to step deeply into what it means to, to really love God and, and you will enjoy them. You yeah. will probably enjoy them. The, uh, I not read the Reeves book, but it the- is awesome. You should read it. It doesn't matter how far along you have been in theology. Like I know you, you've, you've read a lot, Hunter. It's, so good. Yeah. I, it's funny when you said deep things of God, that's like one of the books that I'm like, if you really want to get nerdy, read that book. But it's probably because, really? yeah, it's probably because of those two chapters that I'm just, those yeah, the I skipped that, them. I, I started head. reading them and I mean, it's like, it's like, yeah, that book is a game changer. No question. Yeah. What about you, Dr. Hanger? Okay. In about an hour, I'm going to have some really good titles for you all. <laughs> and then we'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> sure. Don't okay. worry. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I've been racking my brain. And so I, I'm actually going to go in a completely different direction because I don't gravitate toward like systematic, yeah. like like my training is New Testament studies. My training is like biblical studies. And so if you're someone who's interested in more of, I think s- something that caused the Bible to come alive for me was learning how to place myself in that context and the, the backgrounds of it, like the, the historical context, like all that stuff is what I get super excited about. So there are a couple of of books out there. They read like novels. Oh, cool. Um, so if you're interested in just developing more of a heart for, you know, the new Testament, um, there's one book called Phoebe by Paula Gooder. And it's a, it's a fictional, but based on scripture, um, rendering of Phoebe who, who's in, um, one of Paul's, um, yeah. Com- you know, companions, um, in ministry. And so it's just a really fascinating, um, take on it. There's another one called the day in the, they have a this whole series, like a day in the life of this kind of a person. They, yeah. The one that I've read the day in the life of the Roman centurion, Gary Burge. Cool. Really good. There's another one called Pontius Pilate. It's much older and it, and I think they assign it at Biola even. Um, and it takes you through like a rendering of Pontius Pilate according to what we know about him historically in mm-hmm. Josephus and, um, in the New Testament, all that. So I just think that's kind of a fun way to get into scripture and 
I don't know, give you more of a heart for when you're reading, you're reading about the Pharisees. What do I know about the Pharisees? We're going to talk about the Pharisees. Like we have a certain thing that we think about Pharisees, but then when you understand a little bit more about them, like, oh, you see them a little bit differently when they come up in the gospel. So killer. That's great. That's a great, that's a great answer. I love that. I'll check those out. Well, in thanks. an hour, I hope you think of those two books again. Yeah, those are good <laughs> those, they, they're good. All right. Well, thank you, Andrew and Janine. And we're really excited to hear you guys preach on Sunday. Should be good. Thank you. That's thank you. what I hope. <laughs> <laughs>